0: Hello, and welcome back to Food Therapy. We're really excited to have Dr. Dodell here with us today. Dr. Dodell is a board-certified endocrinologist. He received his medical degree from Albany Medical College. He completed his internal medicine and endocrinology fellowship at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital Center, affiliated with Columbia University. He is also in private practice at Central Park Endocrinology, and you may recognize him from his reels. So that was not part of his bio, but he <laughs> has awesome reels on Instagram. Are you also on TikTok?
2: No, okay. I can't, I can't dive can't into both. like more things, like just too much. Like I used to do Twitter and I'm just like, now I use Twitter as basically just a way to like capture nice pictures from my like yes. Instagram.
1: Yes. <laughs> you should just well, take your reels and put them on
0: TikTok. It's like killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> exactly. Okay.
2: I'll consider it. Well, Good welcome <laughs> to
0: food therapy. We're truly so excited to have you on.
2: Yeah, no, I'm pumped. This is yeah. awesome. Thank you.
0: So did you always align with more of this like weight inclusive health at every size approach? And if not, what were some factors that led you to become more of a weight inclusive provider?
2: Okay. Good question. No, absolutely not. I am like all my colleagues trained in a very weight centric medical model. Um, And that's, that's just what my training was. And I'm fortunate enough to be married to the awesome Dr. Alexis Connison, who's at the anti-diet plan, who we, we train in similar backgrounds, the same hospital, actually. Um, She did her postdoc work on bariatric surgery patients. And I was there doing my endocrinology fellowship and we both got out and went into private practice. And in her private practice, she started hearing from people, mostly women, um, with regard to body image and yo-yo dieting and eating disorders and all these things and started coming home to me and being like, this model just does not work. And I'm like, well, you know, what if, you know, people still like eat well and they exercise and all the, like, I just wasn't really like getting there. And then after years and years, and then eventually she wrote this book and I read the book and it just like clicked. And all the research was like, so clear on like how diets are just not successful long-term and like all the things with weight stigma and body image and how detrimental that is. Um, and the harm that really is being done to people and avoiding doctor's offices because of it. Um, so it finally clicked probably like 2020. So like 10 years into like my um, career. And, uh, and I feel good about it. And I think that hopefully I'm helping people by taking this approach and providing a, a safe space for them to come in and, and re- receive weight inclusive care, because everyone deserves that.
0: Yes, absolutely. How would you say your care has changed for clients like now versus before when you were practicing in more of a weight centric paradigm?
2: Good question. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that it really has in how I was always practicing. I don't know if I was ever like super weight focused to begin with. Cause that I don't know. I just wasn't my thing, but now I really don't even like go there or talk about it. And I don't encourage people to restrict foods versus like before I probably would say like, oh, you really can't eat this or you shouldn't eat this. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably been the switch and that now I won't tell people that foods are off limits or bad foods or good foods and things like that, which is, you know, the typical uh, medical paradigm. Now I'll encourage people to add in things that we know are beneficial, you know, fiber and protein and say, have mixed meals and it's okay to have, you know, the donut or the cake or whatever, because I know that if I say don't do that, how long is that gonna last? And that just creates a whole stress, you know, in and of itself. So I think that's been the major shift for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And speaking with clients too, you know, a lot of people that I work with, they're afraid to go to the doctor, especially someone like an endocrinologist, because they go and they've been told so many times, like you just have to eat less and move more without even really asking like what their diet looks like. And, you know, I'm curious in your experience, like how even like weight stigma and healthcare, but specifically in the field that you're in, which is endocrinology. I'm curious how like conversations with colleagues go. And if people are kind of on your same page as it goes with weight, inclusive care, but then also conversations around diabetes and carbohydrates.
2: Right. So I, I, do hear so many stories from patients, um, about past experiences and it, it really breaks my heart and it's unfortunate. I think, and I know that my colleagues have the best intentions in mind for our patients. We're just doing what we are taught. So, you know, that's, that's the beauty I think of, of science and medicine, right. Is that things should evolve and we should Recognize when when certain things aren't working and certain medical models aren't working or certain medications aren't working, whatever it is, um, to recognize that. So I, I hope that these dialogue and this dialogue is advancing that care um, because I think a lot of us don't hear that feedback. You know, the patients like are crying in their car. They're like on the subway, like crying because of like something that was said or assumed. And you know, I think that most of us don't don't hear that you know, um, at least with regard to that. And, and I am happy to hear that a lot of patients now are speaking up when they are having those experiences. A lot of patients are going into their doctors and saying, you know what, like, I don't want to be weighed. I don't want to focus on my weight. I'm happy to talk about health promoting behaviors. I'm doing yoga. I'm spinning. I'm this, I'm that let's focus on that. And you know, my numbers and and not the weight or disclosing a history of a eating disorder, whatever may be going on. So I think that that's all advancing Um, with regards to colleagues. You know, I think everyone is, is understanding and discussing weight stigma. I mean, across the board, you know, like any endocrinology organization, AMA, like people are recognizing weight stigma, but the question is like, what do we do about it? And I think that's really like the diverging point is because i think people are saying weight sickness is bad but we still need to like treat the disease and like all the complications and all these things whereas i'm saying like well if someone has no health problems awesome like let's just focus let's just tell them to keep doing what they're doing like focus on their behaviors let's use medication if we need to and just take weight out of the equation and i think that's you know where it gets into this kind of like gray area
1: Yeah. So often, and I was like this too, before I fully adopted the approach, but it's like, yes, but well, you can be that size, but if X, Y, Z, right, Right. there's always these like conditional things. And I mean, it's rooted in so many things, whether it's fat phobia, whether it's what you've been taught, et cetera. Um, but kind of switching from that, do you have any, cause especially in endocrinology, I have had a lot of clients who have come to me because they're like, I have pre-diabetes and my doctor recommended a low carbohydrate diet and I know that I can't do it. It's going to spiral me back into my eating disorder. What do you recommend? And essentially we just heal the relationship with food. And like you said, add back in, um, you know, add fiber, add protein, add fat, add fat, et cetera. Um, but is there something like in the body that has to do with insulin resistance and whatnot, that happens with binging, because most of the time when I see these people, they are binging.
2: Right. So a lot of data coming out on the impact of of weight cycling Mm -hmm. and the binge restrict cycle is probably what's going on for for maybe many of your clients. Mm -hmm. And that is more harmful than staying at the same weight and eating, obviously, like a balanced thing or having you know more sweets and carbs and things like that over time um so i would say the stress and the inflammatory process of restricting and binging is probably way worse for the body than just staying at the same you know caloric intake and the same weight over time it's a it it turns the body into a fight or flight mode because the body is like i don't know like are you feeding me now am i like not getting nourished? Am I getting nourished? So that is just a stress response, and, and stress and cortisol and inflammation all increase blood sugar.
0: Mm-hmm, right. So I've had conversations even with friends of mine who are doctors who I'm, you know, trying to to get on board, but then they kind of come back to me and they say, "Well, there is also research that being at a higher weight can cause." Diabetes or cardiovascular disease, or uh, other chronic diseases. And I'm curious, like, what your response to that would be.
2: So, the key word used is cause, right? So, in research and specifically with body weight, um, there may be correlations, but you can't, in most of them, if not all of them, say that there's a causal relationship because you have to look at things like weight stigma, you have to look at things like. Is this person going to the doctor because, you know, what if has happened in the past? Are they someone who has been weight cycling because they're in a larger body and they're on and off every diet? Um, have they, Are they looking at physical activity and fitness and smoking and all the social determinants of health? So there's a lot of other variables. And I think the research and the medical community is quick to, grab onto any positive benefits in blood sugar, cholesterol, yes. inflammatory markers, and be like, see, you lose weight and these things get better. Therefore, you must lose weight in order to reach these effects. But what behaviors change in order to get there? And that's what I would focus on because if, if there was a change in nutrition, they added more protein and fiber into the diet or they were in a, a lifestyle modification program whereby they increase physical activity all those things are probably really the contributing factors that are that are making changes and the weight is is the result just like a change right. in blood pressure and blood sugar could be the result right so it's it's not a direct you know causation and i think people are quick to grab onto that from our culture and our training so i think that that's what the discussion can be and should be
0: Yeah. And most of those studies are also when most of the weight loss studies are so short term. It's like this trial was six weeks or three months, eight weeks. They're really short lived and they don't actually show the impact it has on someone's mental health or physical health.
2: Right. So there's a great paper um, that came out within the last year by Gazer. Um, It has like 250 reference papers in it, which shows irrespective of changes in weight increasing physical activity and fitness in and of itself improved cardiometabolic markers without any change in weight whatsoever. So I think you have to control for all those variables. And a lot of times if you pull weight out, I just saw a study this week that in older women, just increasing activity independent of BMI over time led to a decreased incidence of diabetes. Right. And that, and they control, and BMI was not a factor whatsoever in that. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not sure if you've heard of the study. I actually just did a reel on it. Um, but I'm not sure. If, well, yeah, it was a study because it was for, you know, the show The Biggest Loser. So I saw I, um, that.
2: I saw your reel. Oh, you great. did? Yeah. <laughs> I hope I liked it. I probably did like it.
1: Yeah. So it's so interesting to me. I mean, they talked a lot about like resting energy expenditure and I didn't put this in the reel, but there was something cause I was like, this is just going to be way too confusing if I hit on too many points, but there was something about how even the people who did significantly lose weight, there was no change in their insulin sensitivity. So I thought that was a really interesting component, especially because if they were I don't know, maybe I guess because they've been weight cycling for so long or they were yo-yo dieting and whatnot, but that was a definitely an interesting piece of the study.
2: So even with losing weight, there was no change in insulin sensitivity, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, and also like, are they putting out less insulin, you know, at that point because mm-hmm. they've been resistant for so long? So it's, you know, it's hard. Insulin's tricky, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. I just thought because the recommendation all i mean not all the time but most of the time is lose weight you know if you have prediabetes or whatever it is so to see that that in research really isn't the solution is you know good to see
2: i think that also people are recognizing this idea of a metabolic set point yeah and and realizing what happens to the body once someone loses weight and the the ghrelin the increased appetite hormone that kicks in the leptin that goes down to decrease satiety in the body is really smart. And it wants to be within, you know, a given window. And that window is not the same for everyone. Like I'm not going to weigh the same as, you know, a lot of other people and vice versa, you know? So, and that's what it is. You know, not everyone's meant to be like the same shape and size. And I think the more that we discuss that and recognize that and look at real health markers because yes. weight is not a not a reliable marker or an right. indicator of health because of muscle mass because of different fat distribution you know subcutaneous versus visceral fat when we start looking at real markers and realize that we're all different we're all genetically different and like 40 to 70 percent or something like that of our weight is just genetics
0: yes to everything you said
2: oh awesome thank you <laughs>
0: I'm curious, what are some behavior changes that you've noticed with your patient population that has helped reduce insulin resistance?
2: So the main ones that we all kind of like hear about on our Instagram feeds and that I talk about and try and talk about my patients is stress management. So I try and talk to people whether your stress levels like, what do you do for stress, are you in therapy? Do you meditate? Do you take walks? What do you, do you talk to friends? What do you do um, to manage the stress? Because we're all living in a stressful time. You know, it's like the immediate gratification, the the workload, the families, the COVID, the whatever's going on. It's a high pressure. And that affects our health. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, so I talk about stress, um, talk about movement, and, and so much of movement has been linked for a lot of patients with exercise and and therefore it's being done to lose weight to get healthier so i try and kind of break that cycle and say you know it doesn't have to be about weight loss and it doesn't have to be about even getting healthier it's just about finding something you enjoy and see how it feels and and hopefully you know getting out and taking a walk for 5 10 minutes a day makes you feel good and like let's not worry about like what it's doing it's just in the moment this is something you enjoy and it feels good to like step away from your desk and like get some fresh air. Um, so, you know, I think that even though that the intention is not to improve insulin levels and cholesterol and blood pressure, just by like doing that has health benefits. Um, sleep is a big one that I try and talk about because sleep deprivation can increase insulin levels, insulin resistance. It can impact cortisol levels and inflammatory markers. So I try and hit on all these things and and none of them have to do with weight whatsoever.
0: Right. I awesome.
1: love that. That must be so refreshing for your patients. I mean, the amount of things, especially like we said in endocrinology, that they've probably got all of the recommendations of weight loss is going to be the cure-all.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I see a lot of patients, obviously, who have you know had these experiences and are, are dealing with disordered eating or mm-hmm. in the in the throes of an eating disorder. And, and, you know, they've gone into to people. And again, this is like our training or lack thereof right. mm-hmm. of like asking about what's your relationship with food. Do you have any history of disordered eating? Like, what's that, what's that look like for you? Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't trained that way. So, but I've been learning, yeah. you know, that I should ask people that. And I hear, and I'm learning secondhand and just hearing the stories of people who have gone into to doctors and they said, well, you know, you really need to lose weight. And the person's like anorexic already, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like totally derails whatever good work they've been doing with people like you. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad, you know?
0: Something I asked again, my doctor friend, because we were going back and forth on this and she's like, well, what am I supposed to say to, you know, someone who comes into my office who clearly has markers for diabetes and all these things. And I was like, well, what would you say to someone who looked like you, who was in a really small body? Would you tell that patient to go ahead and lose 20 pounds to bring down those markers? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, what would you tell them? And she said, like, I would teach them about like, you know, carb management and and pairing proteins and fats with carbs and fiber and exercise. I'm like, well, that's what you should be saying to everyone. And I think that's the point that we're trying to drive home is so many times people think anti-diet means anti-health. And really, we're just taking a different approach. We're not solely focused on weight because at the end of the day, weight is not a behavior. And so focusing on sleep and stress management, exercise, even food, all of these things can have a direct impact on someone's health.
2: Totally. And I think it's important to note um, that people across the size spectrum have type two diabetes, people across the size spectrum have PCOS and fatty liver and insulin resistance. Mm. Um, people across the size spectrum have thyroid disorders. So, you know, I, exactly what you said, you know, what, what would be your advice for someone, you know, who has a BMI of like 22 or whatever, you know, the BMI is bogus anyways, but like, just to use that example, um, and the medications could be applied the same way and the behaviors could be applied the same way. And as a result of making behavior changes and health-promoting behaviors, people may lose weight, their weight may stay the same, or it may even go up. So if someone has uncontrolled diabetes, they will lose weight because they're breaking down fat and muscle because they're in the fight-or-flight mode. And their body is essentially starving for sugar because even though the sugar is high, the cells aren't able to utilize it. So -hmm. they're breaking down their fat and muscle to create energy. So they're like losing tons of weight. And they're also like peeing all the time and just totally dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So they're sick, Mm -hmm. you know, basically. So when you start treating the diabetes with medication, with behaviors, with insulin if needed, they may gain weight and they will likely gain weight and they're going to be healthier for it.
0: Right. Such a good
1: example of how weight gain doesn't necessarily mean poor health because especially in that instance where they needed to gain weight, right? Uh, It's also interesting you mentioned like how these conditions exist among all body sizes. I always love to say like, why do we expect, like we as a society typically believe that there are just like, those naturally thin people, right? Like I hear people say all the time of like, Oh, I just wish I could be naturally thin. She can eat whatever she wants. So why is it so hard for us to believe that people are just naturally in bigger bodies as well?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, That's a great point.
0: So we know you're based in New York and if someone is looking for a haze provider do you, are you aware of any resources where you can find providers who do practice how you practice? And if you are in New York and you're looking for an endocrinologist, mm-hmm. definitely, um, check out Dr. Dodell, but you know, people will listen to this podcast across the country. And I don't know if you have an answer for this, but do you know of any resources for so I get D
2: I get DMS of this, like pretty much like every week, if not daily. Um, I usually point people towards Reagan Chastain's mm-hmm. um health, Hayes Health Sheets.com. I think she has like resources on there. Um, there's also like FatFriendlyDocs.com, but I don't know mm. if that's updated. I think um some of the, like the even the eating disorder sites may have like professionals who are familiar with, with that. Um there's not a lot to be honest. I mean, I think you, you both know that there's not a lot out there. Um, so we do get a lot of, I get a lot of questions, but I just don't know that many people personally.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that will change Yeah. the next, you know, upcoming years. And we'll have more people like you who is, you know, spreading this message and really providing safe, inclusive care that all people deserve to have.
2: Yeah. Because in the end of the day, um, we're in healthcare and we're in medicine to take care of people. And I think mm-hmm. if you're you're isolating people and you're stigmatizing people and you're making assumptions about people based on body size, um, and and we know that's problematic. I think it's time for a paradigm shift. I mean, all this discussion about weight and body size and all this stuff clearly is not working. Um, you know, if you if someone cares about this and these statistics, you know, and they talk about the epidemic, you know, people's body weights are going up. And why is that when there's been such a tremendous focus on body weight for many, many decades? Hmm. So, you know, like what, what's been like harped on and like discussed in the medical community and society and advertising, all this stuff hasn't really done anything, you know, and it's actually harming people and stigmatizing people. So You know, I think that's something that we have to to look at.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like everybody blames, it's like, oh, well, you know, the obesity epidemic is so bad in America, whatever. And the whole problem is the the language around that in the first place, right? Like you're blaming a problem, which is a problem of itself, right?
2: Right. Yeah. And and by stigmatizing people in larger bodies, you're just creating more of an issue and by telling people they can't eat certain foods and they have to restrict and they have to diet and all these things, which the most likely outcome of being on a diet tends to be people gain the weight back and more. You're just creating the problem.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, and the problem I just want to clarify is not the weight. The problem is just like this cycling and the stigma and the culture,
0: you know, Exactly. Because as you, you know, you already mentioned this, but there is really strong evidence that shows the health consequences of weight cycling. And that is for sure. If you are constantly going up and down in weight, that will impact your insulin resistance and cardiovascular health, et cetera.
2: Yeah. I mean, I had a patient and I learned so much from the patients just by, you know, hearing their stories and listening, but I had a patient in a larger body and as I've learned to do, I say, well, you know, what's your relationship with food and, you know, any history of disordered eating? And she's like, basically like, dude, like I'm in a larger body. Like yeah, I've been on every single diet that's ever been invented. Cause that's like what I'm expected to do, yeah, you right. know?
0: And as you said, I, I forgot what percentage you use, but the high percentage of someone's weight is determined by their genetics. And yeah, I and it's think- like
2: 40 to 70%, which is like right. a pretty wide range of percent. Yes. But anyways, that's what I've heard.
0: Right. And we're not told that we're told that it's a quote unquote fixable problem and it's your fault and you're not making enough of an effort, which is people are shocked when they realize that they can opt out of dieting. They're like, what do you mean? I can just not diet. Like I I have to diet and I have to diet for my health. And so when they find out that that too, is not true. I, I find that people are just shocked. Yeah.
2: Yeah, No, when I, when I say that to people that I'm not going to focus on the weight or that, I'm going to focus on adding in nutrients rather than subtracting. There is like this moment, I think of like excitement and, and shock and whatever. I mean, maybe not because if they're coming to me, knowing my approach, it's different, but, um, and there may even be like people that walk out and they're like, this guy's nuts. Like he's telling (laughs) me that, like, I can just weigh what I weigh and like, that's it, you know?
1: Right. Exactly. So what would you leave our listeners with if this is, if they're struggling with this in terms of their healthcare, uh, how can they advocate for themselves if their doctor is pushing weight loss on them and at the same time diets. uh, diets, restriction, anything like that. But at the same time, it's, there is a big barrier with trying to find a provider that will actually not do that right and provide that weight inclusive care what would you recommend
2: well i think a lot of it also is just the emr the electronic medical records prompt us when we're going through the the visit when we do blood pressure the weight's there and it won't even let me get out of that screen unless i enter a weight Mm. so you know then it's like what do you do with it do you like ask the patient what's your weight that's problematic do you like say like let me weigh you and i won't tell you that's also problematic um so i basically just put 10 for everyone but that's there to like create the discussion around weight because it automatically calculates the bmi so like people that aren't in this world of like discussing these things and it could be like an eye doctor like orthopedic like whoever like who has nothing to do with any like metabolic thing whatsoever they're like there to fix a broken bone or like look at someone's cataract but like boom oh the bmi is 35 i'm supposed to talk to this person about losing weight so let me just say hey have you ever thought about like keto have you ever thought about like you know exercising and the person's like in their head, like I just ran the marathon or I do like, (laughs) I do like spin three times a week. So like, what is this person talking about? Right. But like the BMI is just there, like in red, you know, like prompting the doctor. So I think that's, that's a system wide issue. Yes. Um, but I would say to the patients or the people looking for this advice, I mean, they could say like, look, I know the EMR, Is going to like prompt you to weigh me. I don't really want to be weighed. Mm -hmm. Can you just like put in like 10 pounds or just whatever? Don't make it up because I don't want to like see what you're guessing my weight as. Right. You know, like on the visit summary, like, oh, I think you're about like two, whatever. Right. Um, So, but I would just say, I don't want to talk about my weight. I have a history of disordered eating. I'm working with a therapist. Mm -hmm. These are the things that I'm doing to enhance my health. And I don't want to be derailed by this visit. I'm here to talk about, you know, whatever, my thyroid, my blood sugar, my cholesterol. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on what I could do to improve those things. If I need medication, if I should be doing something else, fine. But I don't want to like restrict my calories and I don't want to talk about my
0: weight.
1: And further, can you go over medical reasons that somebody would actually need to be weighed? Because I feel like there's a lot of pressure as the patient to be like, well, I don't really know, do they need my weight for certain things? Right. Mm -hmm. So what instances would it absolutely be medically necessary to know someone's weight?
2: I think with regard to heart failure patients, a Mm -hmm. cardiac could be important just because um, of edema. So it's basically fluid retention and Mm -hmm. using different medications to get fluid off and, and titrating at that Accordingly. Um, you hear all the time with like anesthesia, you know, for dosing for that, certain other medications, maybe the thyroid, you need to know about what someone's weight is, you know, mm-hmm. if you're just starting them on thyroid medication. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the main things. And then certainly, you know, if people are underweight, you want to like potentially know if they have cancer and things like that and like looking to see if they're getting nourishment or right tpa you know i used to do tpn which is like the intravenous nutrition so you have to know that as far as like figuring out how many calories they need right um in the bag you know so those things
0: right
2: but like if you're going to see someone for like an annual physical i would argue that like the weight really is not that important
0: i want not not to be yeah I was gonna say not to be graphic, but I would. I mean, it's not graphic. But I went to my gynecologist on my birthday, and they're like, "Can you get on the scale?" I was like, "No." I'm like, "It's my birthday, and I just like don't need to be weighed." And she's like, "Okay, can you tell me how much you weigh?" And I just gave her whatever number because I honestly don't weigh myself anymore. But I think in those situations, saying exactly what you said—that unless you have to medically be weighed, and even if you do have to be medically weighed. Can they turn you around on the scale and you know cover the weight so that way it's not triggering for someone who might have an eating disorder past or disordered eating past?
2: And they gotta be careful. With, I I don't think this happens in my own. Well, I don't really weigh people, but the visit summary sometimes will have the vital signs yes. on it, which could yes. include the weight. Yeah. So therefore, if someone's like, I don't wanna be weighed and the doctor just like makes something up or like whatever. And then they see the visit summary that could be an issue or if they get weighed backwards and it has the weight on there and they see it that could be also problematic right so i don't know like i'll throw it back to you like when you saw your gynecologist could you have just said like i don't know i mean there's that that's the problem you can't get out of that screen so they have to like put something in right but it was like it's awkward for you like like, yeah. yeah like i mean i guess someone could be like i don't know just put 10 pounds Or put five pounds or put one, put like whatever you want, but don't like guess around what I am. because I don't even want to see that or hear it. Right. Right.
1: Right. Is there anything in terms of like insurance billing or anything that like needs to change? Because like you say in the EMR, that needs to change that you like have to put in a weight, right? Is there anything like insurance billing that like medically it's like, oh, well you have to, you know, educate them on. X, Y, and Z, or if they're this BMI or whatever.
2: Yeah. So there is that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's obviously the coding for, you know, if people want to use medications for weight loss and things like that, you have to have the weight Mm -hmm. Um, that may be part of it. And I think also billing codes for nutrition counseling and things like that for people that are, you know, at higher BMIs, although you could argue that people across the size spectrum can and should benefit from like nutritional input. Mm-hmm. And also doctors, like, unfortunately we don't get nutrition training. Like, I mean, I'm board certified as a nutrition specialist, mm-hmm. but like most of us aren't. And like, certainly if you're not in endocrine, you're most likely not. So like you get prompted like on someone's BMI because you had to enter the weight. And then you're just going to be like, like you don't have any expertise more than they do necessarily. on like giving nutritional input, but you're just going to be like, oh, like you should go on a diet or like eat more fruits and vegetables, like whatever, right. you know, by which the is like way, me- meaningless.
0: <laughs> they have less, they probably have less insight because a person who is visiting them has probably tried every single diet and pr- probably could teach most people, right. you right. know. And if
2: someone has an eating disorder, bias. they probably know like a lot more about nutrition yes. than like the average clinician yep. just because they've counted- macros and micros and they know like every calorie, you know, yeah, content exactly. of whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners, first of all, work with you in New York if they are, you know, in New York and also on social media so people can see the amazing reels and content you continue to put out? Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you. So I'm um, Central Park Endocrinology. It's my own practice. Um, th- we have a website, centralparkendocrinology.com. I'm on the Upper West Side. And uh, Instagram is everything underscore endocrine.
0: Perfect. Nice Thank you, you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next.